everybody. It's Cody with Drew Code Sports Talk. We want to give a special shout out to SeatGeek for sponsoring our podcast. SeatGeek is a ticketing app that takes the confusion out of buying tickets. SeatGeek is known for using a 0 to 10 scale when you're purchasing tickets to let you know if you're getting a good deal or a bad deal. And it lets you know right at the time of purchase. And right now, they're giving our listeners $20 off when you use our promo code DREWCODE at the time of checkout. So go to the link in the description or download the app. Don't forget to use our promo code DREWCODE to get $20 off your first order. And we hope to see you at the next game. What is going on, everyone? This is Drew Code Sports Talk. And as you can see, we have from the Backseat Podcast also with us. What is going on, guys? So what's up, guys? How's it going? Good to be here. Nice to finally be back on. It's been a little while, but super stoked to get into things today. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. I'm also here. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. We, this is the first time that we've all four been on the podcast, um, but uh, well, without other people. Uh, we did the home run derby thing, which was cool, but you know, unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to like really do this. So it was, it's nice to actually finally get you guys on here both at the same time and talk a little sports. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, it should be great. Yeah, it should be fun. Cody, what's going on, man? Oh man, nothing. I've just been excited all day about getting these two on, and I don't know how many text exchanges we've talked about having them on one day and the day is finally here and i think the last time we tried all four of us besides the home run derby i had an emergency that that we talk about all the time but we're just chit-chatting just obviously before the show so it's really nice to not only talk sports but to talk you know life with these guys so i'm just really happy that we're doing this and i'm i'm super stoked awesome well, um, Clark and Ethan, uh, you guys are our San Diego Padre um, resident people, for mm-hmm. sure. And, yep. um, you know, unfortunately, well, first of all, I do want to congratulate you guys on uh, beating the uh, the Dodgers. As Giants fans, uh, Cody and I, we really appreciate the Dodgers being eliminated early mm-hmm. and all the Dodger fans, uh, you know, crying. So we appreciate all of that. So of course, always happy to San- help with that. <laughs> thank you to the San Diego Padres. Uh, but then, unfortunately, they did lose to the Phillies, the hot Phillies right now. Good Lord. Um, you know, we wanted to have you guys on, um, I believe it was during, it was like right after game four. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of, you know, it, it was not looking great for the Padres. And then game five, they had some life. But unfortunately, the Phillies are dominating mm-hmm. um just go through what your guys's like feelings are weren't during all of that like what's going through your head did you guys feel like you just lost gas do you feel like it was just meant to be for the phillies do you think it was just because of the the emotional dodger series i mean what was it yeah i mean I, i'll i'll go ahead and say for myself I, I think it was a combination of things i mean ultimately you have to tip your cap to the phillies i think they're as you see oftentimes in a lot of postseasons, it's a matter of just getting hot at the right time. And while I thought the Padres were equally as hot coming into this, there is sort of this Hollywood script feeling that the Phillies do have right now. I mean, that home run that Harper hit off Suarez, I mean, this is a guy that they brought in four years ago to try to redirect where this franchise was going. This has been the poster child for what they want to do. 
And lo and behold, he comes up in the biggest spot. And when they need him most, he hits a home run to the opposite field. And one of the most classic Bryce Harper swings you can really come up with. It just shows you how good he is. But again, I, I think it's a combination of both. I think the Padres blew too many opportunities. I think overall in the series, they did not come through with runners in scoring position when they needed to. And again, they had a huge opportunity in game four. They went up 4 nothing. Um, I think the the ultimate error in that game was just giving the ball to Mike Clevenger at any point. I think Mm -hmm. Bob Melvin, and I mean, Ethan talked about this last night. Bob Melvin believes in his guys to a fault at times. And I think that's what happened in this game. Um, Clevenger got lit up. That kind of took all the wind out of the sails. I think if you were to go back, you just start with Nick Martinez. I don't think you throw Shamanaya either because those guys had seven runs charged to him. Um, and you most likely win that game if you handle the bullpen differently. But again, Bob's overbelief in some guys and his bullpen management issues have been his issues in Oakland, and they showed a little bit in this. But at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to fault the Padres. I mean, they had a great run. Again, only two other teams in franchise history made it further. Um, it's a tough break, but when you're going um, up against what he what the Phillies are right now, it's just like you kind of ran into the, the wrong team at the wrong time. That's just the way it goes. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, Ethan. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to chime in. I mean, uh, depressing day for a Padres fan, but also a really exciting season. I mean, again, anytime you beat the Dodgers, you're feeling good. The, the Dodgers have been the monkey on the back of the Padres franchise. Probably you could date it back for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's felt like every time you play them. I mean, they call Petco Park – Dodger Stadium South, Rude. and they're still all mad about how their fans couldn't come to San Diego and couldn't show up to the games. Uh-huh. Um, it's called advantage. Sorry that it didn't work out for you. Sorry that San Diego showed up in droves, which you thought they had no fans and they're a small market team or whatever. But you lost. It doesn't matter at this point. You guys got knocked out. You're an 111 win team. It wasn't the mm-hmm. playoff format. You just showed up and played bad. That's just what happened. Um, and then obviously we ran into a buzzsaw versus the Phillies. Clark and I thought the Padres were the team of destiny. It actually turns out that the Phillies, yeah, turns out the Phillies are, yeah. are the team of destiny. So sometimes you get burned like that. Sometimes it mm-hmm. happens. It was two underdog stories who just yeah. flashed into one another. I think it's definitely the obvious case for what it was. I mean, look, I, I thought coming into the series, the Padres would have the advantage. I think always in my mind, you lean towards a team that has better pitching. I was confident mm-hmm. in Padres starting pitching. I think really their one through three guys did their job um, for the most part. Musgrove, that hit by Gene Segura off that ball that was almost in the other's batter's box. Yeah. I mean, that's a swing only like Vlad Guerrero, uh, Vlad Guerrero makes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just stuff like that where things are rolling your way where you're just like, all right, you know, maybe there wasn't much we could do. Um, Obviously, though, like Ethan said, I think as a Padres fan, you have to look at this season as a whole as a success wildly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like, and it'll remain to be seen, beating the Dodgers, I think, does take a monkey off the back. I would assume moving forward, they start playing better against the Dodgers in the regular season because they have proof, okay, you know, proof of concept, essentially. We can beat sure. these guys when it really matters. The big thing is just, you know, they got to get better for next year. I I think really one thing, too, you saw in the series, at least from my estimation, mm-hmm. is that I love Ha Sung Kim, but boy, does that team need Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. They need him so badly. And anyone who, including myself, was skeptical, like, do we really 
like, oh, do we need this guy really with all the issues and stuff this year? The the answer is a resounding yes. I promise you in that Philadelphia series, he probably would have hit four home runs. I really feel that way. I mean, there was pitches. He's a guy where the Padres are a really patient approach. Worked all season, but there were some absolute cookies being thrown by guys. Yeah. I think Fernando would have said, I'm going to go ahead and take that 430 to center field. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have changed the series in a lot of ways. So, again, for the Padres, it, it's a tough way for things to end. But ultimately, they beat an 101 win Met team in a game that in a series no one gave them a shot. And I don't think anyone picked them to win that series. And then they took down the Dodgers, 111 game win for the Dodgers. And they took mm-hmm. them down again. No one gave them a shot in that. You have to take your. Uh, you have to take some of the victories. Obviously, the goal at the end of the every year is to raise the championship banner, and they fell short of that. But mm-hmm. for the first year of Melvin's tenure, I feel like this is certainly a step in the right direction. What do you guys think the Padres need to do to get past the hump? So you guys got through the Dodgers. So mm-hmm. now to get to where the ultimate goal is, what do you guys think the Padres need to do to improve? I mean, for me, I think, the, I think the big thing that jumps off, Ethan, you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say back end pitching. I mean, what, what kind of did them in, in the with the Philly series is their back end just kind of fell apart. They couldn't mm-hmm. rely on Clevenger or Manaya at all. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up losing them game. What was that game four? Was that game four? Uh, yeah, game I four, think yeah. Clevenger. Yeah. yeah. Um, when they already had a lead in the first inning, immediately gives it up and then <laughs> later gives it up. I mean, you got to tip the hats to the Phillies. They played extremely well. Bryce Harper played extremely well. But Mosh I think the Padres are going to – Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is the Padres are going to get Fernando Tatis back. And yeah. people want to write him off as he's a steroids user. He's not good. But, again, he, he's he's a generational player. Even if he comes back as 75% of himself, he's that's still, still yeah. an incredibly good player that you are adding to a lineup with Juan Soto and Manny Machado right now. Yeah. yeah. I think realistically for me, I, I think Ethan hit the nail right on the head. I think they need to add two more not they need two higher quality back end starters. I think guys I look at, uh, one guy who's gonna be a free agent from the Dodgers who had a great season. I don't know if he'll replicate it with us, but Tyler Anderson, I think he'd be a guy that I'd really be intrigued in and bringing in two years. I think he had a great year in LA. Um, I hope we don't overpay for him, but he's certainly a guy that I would be interested. Another right arm that I'd be interested in is probably Nathan Avaldi from the Red Sox. He's a guy you give a gander at, maybe a guy like Jamison Tyone. Not dudes who you were like, oh, this is a certified adding another ace, but two guys who you feel comfortable every fifth day goes out there and gives you a really good shot to win. Because I feel like towards the latter part of the season, they lost that with Clevenger and Manaya. Certainly with Manaya, because all of his numbers on everything were down. But outside of that, I think I think you need to add a better at the catching position. Um, I don't know if the team believes in Luis Campensano at the uh, full-time catcher spot. I really like him, but clearly there seems to be a disconnect between him and the starting pitching staff. So I think an intriguing move that I kind of hope they go after is acquiring uh, Sean Murphy from the A's. I would like to see mm. that. I think that'd be a guy that I would like. And I think even if they can't get a guy like, um, you know, Anderson, I think a guy that'd be really interested in trading for would be Trevor Rogers from the Marlins, a guy who was an all-star last year in his rookie year, kind of fell off last year, and there's some questions around him. I'd be willing to take on that project and say, hey, I mean, Ruben Niebel fixed our pitching coach, fixed Josh Hader in a matter of weeks. Um, I feel like he can fix just about anyone. He's one of the best pitching coaches in baseball, but overall, just a couple more. I would love one more high quality power bat. I think bringing mm-hmm. back Brandon Drury would solve that issue. I mean, I think adding a guy like Sean Murphy would solve that issue. I think you got to bring in someone else. And then again, adding two more pitchers and then re-signing some pieces of the bullpen, like Robert Suarez, free agent. You have to bring him back. He was lights out in the playoffs. Really. He was lights out all for three quarters of the season. 
But I, I don't think there's any astronomical changes. There's just solid moves that they need to make. And then again, like Ethan said, bringing Fernando Tatis Jr. back for whatever you want to say about the steroids and stuff this year, when he's on the field, he's a top five player in baseball. I mean, he's shown it every single time. And I think getting him back, that's about the biggest thing you can add possible. Yeah, and I really want to add on for all of these announcers who think they're being clever or reporters, whoever, are like, oh, the Padres wouldn't have gone as far if Fernando Tatis was on this team. You're a joke. You're a complete yeah, joke. Yeah, I don't understand how the conclusion's drawn to that. You're a joke. Listen, yeah. I mean, I, I would say this. Like, uh, having, having Juan Soto, it didn't go as great as what they thought it was going to. But towards the, towards the end of the year and during the postseason, I felt like his at-bats were getting better and no, better. They're getting better. He was walking mm-hmm. as much as he was walking in, in Washington. And that's why his batting average was actually lower because he rarely got anything to hit. Mm-hmm. And so it just he his on base percentage it was, was OBP ridiculous was still through the roof. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Juan Soto for a lot of people who are saying, oh, it wasn't that great of a, it was a great trade, but it only works when you have Fernando Tatis. Yes, the yeah. Padres had a good year. Um, I would venture to say a great year um, without Fernando Tatis. But in postseason play, you need that dynamic player. You need the guy who's going to be on the base pass. You need a guy who sometimes is going to be aggressive on the base pass. A guy who's going to bring some uh, mojo to your team who's going to motivate this team and get you going in the the right direction. Um, I don't think Juan Soto really... Added to that, I think Brandon Drury actually did more so than Juan Soto in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Manny Machado, he was fantastic. I thought mm-hmm. he was great. No, I, um, I agree. Yeah, but you know, unfortunately, they needed that added thing. And you're right, the pitching wasn't great this in this no. postseason for the Padres, especially this the Philly series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the pitching again. I think the top three guys you got pretty good. I mean, Darvish and Musgrove certainly. Yeah. Uh, Snell could have been better, but I still think that Dodgers start that he had was really good. I mean, the game against the Phillies, he really battled in that one. Those are like five sawed off singles that came into runs. That's just the way it is. But yeah, I think having Fernando back in the lineup, I think people forget just how electric and how explosive he is. I mean, this is a 40 50 home run kind of guy that just wasn't in the lineup and i think too by adding him i don't know what they'll do with the lineup next year i would actually be really intrigued in the possibility of soto leading off just for how high his on base percentage is yeah. and if you get him on i mean you're gonna have to pick who you want to throw to between soto Tat- uh, tatis and machado you're gonna have to pick your poison yeah so. for sure i i completely agree with that i think i think they need to venture out and think about if we don't put Tatis in first, which I don't think they should, just because of his injury history. You're putting more abs at him. He could he could kind of tweak something when he's swinging or you know on the field or whatever. So I think putting Soto there, who's been a guy who he can get hurt, but he's usually uh, not a season-ending injury like Tatis has had mm-hmm. a couple of times. So uh, I think that would be an interesting thing, and I hope the Padres kind of switch up a lot of their lineups because I felt like during the postseason they kind of kept the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just if it was a righty and lefty, I'd like to see a little bit of change to see uh, maybe something else that might spark them. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say uh, Juan Soto might, with the shift being banned next year, Juan Soto might hit about 400. The number of <laughs> balls that he had, I think there was like, I think 16 of like his last 18 balls that he put in play were like over 100 miles an hour exit velocity. Yeah. 
yeah. they had him in the shift, and that guy wasn't there. That's finding right center. So yeah, the shift ban will be interesting next year. And that again, I, he's not going to hit 400, but Juan Soto is probably going to have a little bit higher batting average. He's definitely going to be over 300. I would, yeah. I would be. I have a feeling. Yeah, if you're a betting man, which you were talking about, you kind yeah, of. Yeah, I think then, you might want to bet that. <laughs> well, that the, the betting odds, I'm sure on that actually probably would be like minus 135 for him to do that at this point. That's year. true. That's so true. Like, I don't yeah. know if it's worth it. So, yeah, yeah. Padres overall, I mean, to me, a, a bummer for it, for it to end, but I think as a fan, you have to look at it as a success. It was a step in the right direction. Okay, good. Well, that actually answered one of our questions, which did you guys feel like it was a successful season? Um, so I'll say this, Ethan and, and Clark. Ethan, I know you went to a few of the games. Clark, I think you went to one of the I went to games, uh, right? three of them. I went to three of them. Okay. So... so- <laughs> You're pointing the wrong direction. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ethan, I mean, I'll ask you first, um, like, kind of what was the atmosphere in Petco Park? Because I've been there one time. I I actually went there last year, um, and I was surprisingly excited about it, and I really loved the stadium. I thought it was spectacular. They like when they showed on TV, they, it does not do it justice. I love the park that they have behind there. It's, it's a cool atmosphere just in itself. But what I was most surprised about is like just how full the stadium is or was at that time at the end of the year when the Padres were kind of in the hunt and um, they were kind of starting to, you know, tail off at the end, but the atmosphere was still great. Um, so like, what was it like in a postseason game? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that question. But before I do, uh, I just want to say Clark and I grew up going to Petco park. So Clark and I, the town we're from is about a 10 minute drive from the stadium. Mm -hmm. So like when, when other, when we were in middle school, really in high school, when other kids would like go to the movies, we would go buy like the $10 Padres tickets because the Padres were so bad. So like my opinion of Petco is it doesn't have the spectacle of what it used to because I've probably seen like, I don't know, Clark. What's your guess of how many games we've seen together? There? We've seen thirty. We've seen a lot. We've seen a lot. We've seen a lot. Um, but the playoffs was completely different. I mean, to tell you the truth, so I went to Game Four, which is where we eliminated the Dodgers, and it was depressing for the first seven innings of the game. Mm. I mean, the Dodgers got up in the third. They took a two-run lead. We didn't. Our offense wasn't really moving at all. Um. And so it was just kind of depressing until they played the the goose up on the big screen. And oh, then the Padres uh-huh. started to have a huge seventh inning, scored five runs, and the stadium went wild. <laughs> everyone was, like, fainting. Everyone – I mean, it felt like the whole city was, like, gasping for air for how excited it was. And it started to rain right after. In, in sunny San Diego, it started to rain. So, like, the whole, the whole stadium was basically dancing in the rain, watching the Dodgers fans' tears fall from the sky. Um, <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> uh it felt great i mean the atmosphere was incredible it was loud i feel like i feel like i captured it pretty good in my couple videos of uh what it looked like to be in the stadium i mean i was in out in right field but yeah i mean it, it was really fun i'd never been to a playoff game in any sport the closest thing i'd come is i was at that chargers raiders game last year week 18 mm-hmm. which wasn't an official playoff game but it kind of was because it was a playing yeah. game um, so it was fun to be at a play to be at a playoff game, and Clark actually went to both an NLDS game and an NLCS game, so he probably has a little bit more perspective than me. No, I mean, look, um, I've gone to like I I've gone to a ton of Padres games. I was at the last Padres 
playoff game that they hosted in 2006 when I was in third grade. I was there for that last one. So it was really cool to see so many people in San Diego come together for like just one team that we have. I mean, people always make the joke and I think unfairly that like, Oh, San Diego is not a real sports town. Mm-hmm. I think what you saw in those games is that that's just not the truth of it. There's a lot of people that really care about this team. There's a lot of people who have followed this team vigorously and very closely for years and so I think for everyone who's at that game, it was a really cool moment. Um, beating the Dodgers, definitely something I don't think anyone will ever forget. Especially, I mean, again, I know Dodgers fans make jokes like, oh, you just beat us. But again, this is like the little brother, big brother thing. We've watched this yeah. team my entire life. I have watched the Dodgers just obliterate us. There's very mm-hmm. few times in my life where I've gotten a meaningful win watched against the Dodgers. And I got to go and watch two of them. So I'm like, it was truly something to behold. I think, again, the biggest thing is I think for me what it really showed, again, besides the passion the city has, is that it's a sports town. It can work here. And I think me and Ethan talked about this. If you're the Chargers at this point, if you're Dean Spanos, Mm -hmm. what a mistake to leave. I mean, this is a city that when they make it, everyone goes crazy for them. I mean – Ticket sales, again, this is I've always said this too with the Padres, why I always wanted to spend money and why I always say major league owners who make the argument of, oh, we have to play money ball, we have to play cheap. It's the biggest lie ever told to fans. Yeah. Every owner can spend money, and I don't know why you don't. Because look at the Padres. Seidler and this organi- like team has come in, they've spent money, and people were no problem dishing out $500 for one ticket. Like The amount of money that this team just made off this one season alone is unbelievable. So for me, the experience was one of a kind. I'm super glad I got to experience it a couple times. The stadium was absolutely bumping, and it was great to see so much brown and gold. It, it was a, it was a spectacle to behold, truly. Yeah, I'm just thankful that uh, at at the Padres uh, at the Padres playoff game, it was a lot of uh, brown and gold and not a lot of uh, blue. Because I was like, yeah. dude, I would hate that. That would just that would bug me so much. Well, the smart cause... thing that they did that Dodgers fans are all upset about, which I don't know why they are, because plenty of teams do this. Mm-hmm. They're they cry That's why they use geotagging so people in certain area codes could not buy them so LA areas could not just load up on tickets. Yeah, right. Dodger fans were upset about but so many teams do that. A, yeah. a boatload of them do. So this is not some sort of original thing. It's this is a very widely used practice. Right. <laughs> so, would you would you guys like to know an interesting fact though? Would love one. I had uh, World Series tickets if the Padres made it. So did I. Uh, I had bought them too. Mm-hmm. I Dang. had World Series tickets. That's awesome. That'd have been cool. Yeah. Dang. What's uh, kind of nice to see but... the refunded money go back in the account? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure. The game, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it wasn't uh, cheap. It wasn't $10 like you guys were talking about earlier. No, those were the old days. <laughs> those days of any sort of cheap Padres tickets are gone. No, Those yeah, inflation so rates really went up, huh? <laughs> yeah, ever uh, since... The the days that Clark and I are talking about are the ten days. It was like when Alexi Amarista was like the best player. Yeah, when you have like Kyle Blanks. You know, yeah. you have Cameron Mabin's your centerpiece of your team. You know, oh, yeah. and that's what's really drawing you. To <laughs> oh yeah, that I guys. Love, love those Padre days. Yeah, Will love Venable. Those. You know, Chase yeah. Headley. Those are your yeah. stars. Nick Hunley. You're just like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm watching. <laughs> so yeah, I just remember no. the Giants absolutely obliterating that. Those Everyone, teams. I think it's again. That's what made this so <laughs> special for so many people is because for over 15 years they had just been like 
we're yeah. just going to beat the crap out of this team. You guys are a yeah. joke. You have an ownership that doesn't care. And now we have everything I've ever wanted in terms of a team being run. I have a GM who's aggressive. I have an owner who wants to spend money. I have superstars. Yeah. That's all you could ask for. For sure. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, like I, I always think of it in terms of like, like if the Marlins were successful, I'm, and I'm in no way a, a Padre fan. I mean, I, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm they're a rival. So mm-hmm. I, you know, of course I'm rooting against them, especially when, you know, the giants are playing them. Yeah. But at the same time, like it kind of felt like if the Marlins were good and they were in the playoffs, I would be really rooting for the Marlins because I was like, I want to see this team that's been crap after crap after crap had mm-hmm. some really good players, but could never do anything with it. Finally succeed. And it was kind of like when the Padres got, you know, Juan Soto and, and when they got Manny Machado and the Dodger fans were crying during that time. Um, and, you know, when they got Fernando Tatis and all of a sudden he's, he's really, he's a lot better than what he, they even thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so when they got all these players, you're just kind of like, Oh crap, like this might actually work. And then when they were starting to lose a little bit, it was like, dude, seriously, this can happen. Like they're, yeah. they're too good. And they started getting hot at the right time. And, and obviously they made that push and it was, it was cool to see them actually kind of succeed. I would say that they did succeed because yeah. I don't think anyone thought especially after that Dodger series I I was telling Cody here last week that I felt like that Dodger series took a lot out of the Padres because it was so emotional because exactly what you said it was the big brother little brother thing your Dodgers fans have been saying that all year long oh the Padres want to be us so bad the Padres want to be us so bad and finally you guys had a head-to-head in a big time meaningful playoff game or games series and um the Padres ended up winning and it's like you now you can't you can't brag because you guys were the best team all year long Mm -hmm. and you lost and now you have to face this team again who's not only basically going to have the same team but actually is going to get better just because they're getting their shortstop back yeah exactly you sure exactly all right well that went a lot longer than i thought it was going to so i am sorry i kept that going for a long time We are supported by FNX Fit. FNX is a workout and supplement company that is committed to creating innovative supplements of the highest quality. FNX has high quality protein powders, creatine, and pre-workout supplements. FNX has also got amazing workout gear such as tees and tanks, an essential joggers line, and of course, shaker bottles. Not only is FNX Fit selling great products, but they have an even better message. FNX has launched their live program with every FNX order They are donating a portion of each product bought and helping deliver clean drinking water in countries of need. Go to the special link in the description below and use our promo code DREWCODE15 to get 15% off your purchase when you use our link. And don't forget, we become greater when we rise together. But Cody, let's get into our NFL topics. I'll let you uh, uh, get into the questions here. Well, as everyone or no one knows that Clark is a resident Bengals fan. So our leadoff question in the NFL is obviously the Bengals completely waxed the Falcons uh, this past Sunday. Oh, yeah. And Joe Burrow had a dominant performance. So Clark and of course, Ethan, you're going to have to answer as well. uh, Are the Bengals back to their Super Bowl form? They certainly look it. They certainly look it. I mean, look. 
I think uh, what you've seen is finally an offense that has refound its identity. I think you see a quarterback who's finally, without no preseason, after having an emergency appendectomy surgery, he's finally feeling comfortable again. You're seeing an offensive line that finally is gelling together and a play-calling scheme that's starting to figure out what defenses are doing and now defenses are having to adjust to them. Um, granted, I know people can say, oh, well, it was against Atlanta, it was against the Saints. Well, the reality is you have to beat who's on your schedule, and they've taken care of business handily last week, and they did their job against New Orleans the week prior. Um, I think the Bengals are certainly looking like their Super Bowl selves last year. Um, we talked about this on the show yesterday. I think one part of the Bengals that certainly does not get enough talk is the defense. I mean, this is a defense that has not allowed a touchdown in the second half for seven games this season. They're the first team to do that since the 2000 Ravens, which is widely considered one of the best defenses of all time. Not saying it's what they're going to do, um, but this team looks really well-rounded. I think, again, Burrow's playing at the level I expect him to. Obviously, I don't expect him to drop 500 every week. The yeah. offensive weapons all on the outside are really humming. And again, I think it's stemming because Burrow, at first, I think was locked in on Chase. He really wanted to feed him the ball, but I think now he's starting to realize, wait a minute now, I have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins and Hayden Hurst and Joe Mixon, who are all very capable of making plays on their own. And because of that, the ability to facilitate a more balanced offense is allowing for bigger plays to chase himself. Because guys, their defense is like, oh, we can't just focus on him. We now have to go back to you know taking on multiple assignments. Um, I won't say like, oh, they're up to Buffalo or Kansas City yet. While I think they certainly can beat them, Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, if they played, um, I still need to see a little bit more consistency. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to with these teams. It's still early, but for the way that they've turned it around, they won four or five. I feel really good with where they're at. I I think uh, you're finally seeing the team that played so well in 2021. And I think you're seeing a lot of what people expected to happen this year kind of come to fruition. Ethan, what are your thoughts on the Bengals? Uh, yeah, I agree with mostly everything Clark said. I mean, I, we talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd consider them Super Bowl contenders just because of where the Chiefs and the Bills are right now. I think the Bengals are finding their way back into that conversation. But right now, the Bills and Chiefs are just head over heels better than everyone else. Uh, maybe besides for the Eagles and the NFL. Those are probably the top three. And mm-hmm. I think the Bengals are going to find themselves back into the conversation. It's just the Bengals hasn't played the quality of opponents the Chiefs and Bills have played. So it's hard to measure them up to that team yet. I mean, the Bengals, obviously, as Clark said, they're playing extremely well. You can't discount that. Jamar Chase is playing like the wide receiver number one right now. He's an absolute dominant player. T. Higgins, for all those haters out there that isn't top 30, get out of here. He's People just saying ever heard of this offseason. Just get out of that conversation. Joe Mixon is running the ball well. They're doing enough to make plays, and Joe Burrow is playing at an absolute elite level. For everyone that's trying to discount him, and Clark and I went back and forth about this with, um, I will not name him, but somebody on Twitter who is a known Joe Burrow hater. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe Burrow is a top three quarterback right now. There's no debate about it. He's playing at an extremely high level, and outside of Mahomes and Josh Allen, no one's playing better than him. So the Bengals are going to go far. It's just if they can beat the Bills and the Chiefs when it matters. Yeah, I mean, I I will say first, I mean, again, it's early on, but I think by the time we get to the playoffs, I would I would feel very confident in the Bengals ability to be either of those teams. I really Mm -hmm. would. I mean, the thing is, I don't think where they're going to sit in the standings. I don't think they could be both. I think they could. 
I do. Not I, I mean, I'm looking at the Bengals schedule right now. I mean, next week they have the Browns. I think that's very winnable, especially with, you know, uh, Brissett as their quarterback. You have the Panthers. Yes, they just beat Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, but I don't think Tampa Bay is honestly on the level of Cincinnati right now. I think their offense is in shambles. You have the Steelers, the Titans. I don't think the Titans are that good. I just think they're in a really bad division. Then you have the Chiefs. That's going to be a test, but that's in Cincy. Uh, and then the Browns again, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, and then Ravens to finish it out. I mean, November, I think they could they could almost go undefeated in November uh, and then start December against the Chiefs. So the Bengals yeah. could be could be a really good record. And, and Ethan, to your credit, it is a pretty easy schedule up until December, in my opinion. I mean, I think the Steelers have an okay defense, but I don't think they're, they get gassed so early because they're on the field constantly because the offense can't keep the ball. So, um, uh, you know, that it's going to be interesting to see what they do in December for me. I think in November, they're going to kind of coast. They might lose one of those just because they are trying to coast a little bit, trying to get everyone healthy, but mm-hmm. overall, the way, what I saw with that Falcons, uh, against the Falcons team, that was very encouraging, especially for a fantasy uh, T Higgins owner. Uh, that was that was very well uh, very accepted. Nice <laughs> no, for I sure. think. I mean, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to say. I think the success is going to be mostly predicated on how much share, like what you were just alluding to, Clark. All the other receivers outside of Chase is going to get because as I'm looking at their stats right now, Boyd himself had nine targets, which. He's somebody that led this team in receiving even before Higgins and Chase. Yeah. So he's definitely mm-hmm. a dominant piece. Chase and Higgins each respectfully had a healthy target share along with Hurst, who is slowly being more utilized in this offense. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the concern was, I think a couple of weeks ago, was the play calling of Zach Taylor. So this, yes, it is the Falcons, but this Falcons team also beat up on a Tom Brady team. So take it for what it's worth. But I think if the play calling is right, and of course Burrow stays aggressive i think mm-hmm. burrow could help carry and propel them because i actually picked them as an afc favorite because i do think that there is something about joe burrow that could propel this team he is that charismatic leader in my opinion that is going to help them i think it's just going to be the play calling and if this defense stays solid i agree with you in a sense that in the playoff time for some reason if it's if they have to play the chiefs and buffalo somehow some way I do think that Bengals will hold their own, if not win those two games. I know that they're two two strong teams, but the Bengals are a team that will surprise you. You underestimate them, and they'll make you pay. And their defense is one of those that no one realizes that for seven straight games, they haven't allowed a second-half touchdown. So, you know, they're surprising a lot of people in that aspect. And I think a lot of teams aren't thinking they're on that level yet, but then here they go posting 35 on the Falcons, and they've also beaten teams like the Jets. Uh, they almost beat the Ravens, but they'll see them again later on this season. Mm-hmm. And the Ravens don't look so great. And the season, the schedule gets easier, as Andrew pointed out. So I think this team predicated on play calling and Joe Burrow could could see themselves back deep in a playoff run again. No, I, I do have a lot of confidence. Again, I think they're still, you know, they still have to keep beating these teams they need to. They need to take care of the Browns. They need to take Carolina. Um, you know, obviously you got to win those games, but. I mean, I feel confident. Again, a lot of things that I was hoping would come back to fruition have developed over the last two weeks. And I know, like, again, I, I get it, Kansas City and Buffalo. I think, yes, they are certainly above where Cincinnati is right now. Um, but come playoff time, I would feel very confident. Because, again, I mean, people forget, the Bengals beat Kansas City twice last year. They yeah. did do that twice. 
Yeah, but and this can, is a, I, I would argue this is a better Kansas City team. This you can year lie to yourself and say that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Look so at they already, already, okay, Ethan again. So Ethan, what part of the Kansas what, what part of Kansas City is better than? They have more explosive plays this year than they did this time last year. Dude, Their offense you, is more explosive. I'm asking you, what happened both times last year in the second half of Bengals <laughs> and Chiefs games? Again, they played well, but again, this is a played well. Season. They held Mahomes to three and zero in the second half of both games. Okay. Again, yes, that is true, but this is a different Chiefs team, and it's it's a little ignorant not to acknowledge that. I'm not not acknowledging it. I'm just telling you, it's a little ignorant to sit here and say, oh, well, the Bengals, I don't know if they, they might have a chance. They might have no, a I'm chance. I'm not saying they might have a chance. I'm saying if they have to beat the Chiefs and Bills, I don't think they beat both teams. That's just what I'm saying. I, I said that. I said not, I would, why wouldn't they? Why not? Why couldn't they? Because they're they, not at the level of those two teams. Those see, two teams there, are it's dominant. Just, it's a comment like that. I just don't think that's true. I don't think you, that's true. You, what good quarterback have you played this season so far? If we really want to dive into it, you played Lamar Jackson and who else? Uh, Zach Wilson. (laughs) They didn't even play Zach Wilson. They played Joe Flacco. That's great. What What are you talking about? They played Cooper Rush in week two. What are you talking about? Okay, now now it's becoming Bengals bashing. (laughs) No, I mean I I know again. I know Jacksonville. No, wait. I want to get in on this. I know it's going to be Alan Mahomes. I feel very confident they beat either of them. If, if we're going to sure. overreact to huge wins, I was just praising the Bengals. But if we're going to overreact to huge blowout wins, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars blew out the Chargers, and they have lost four straight games after that. Yeah, well, it's because the Chargers are kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, but if we overreact to blowout wins, things like that can happen. Well, some people didn't overreact. Some people held I know, but then you, in, you incited me. You went after me. <laughs> what did I go after you about? What did I say about the Chargers? You didn't say – I'm not talking – about the Chargers, you went after me and acted like I'm a I'm a Bengals hater, even though I said I just don't think they'll beat the Chiefs and Bills in the playoffs. They will. It's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so so Lord, let's go. Barely, let's... Wait, wait. You barely snuck out of the playoffs last year. You guys barely <laughs> snuck out, and you guys made it to a Super Bowl and lost. And this is the way you're talking that you are better than the Bills and Chiefs now. No, we're like, not better. But that I have would, combined for three losses. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't say we're better. You're asking me if this team that I believe that beat Kansas City twice last year, do I believe that they can go ahead and do it again? My answer is yes. Yeah, but we're talking about they got to beat them twice again because they got to beat them in the regular season and in the playoffs. Ethan, they did it last year. Why would I have any belief that they wouldn't do it again this year? How many times have you watched a team in your division beat a team twice the year before and then lose one of the I'm games? Just, I'm just That happens you all the time. Seen. No, but it's because you act like this is some sort of impossible feat when it's not. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, All right, so I, again, I'm I'm telling you what I saw. I, this is that you can't tell me that there's just oh, this is an inconceivable idea. Wait, but they're two weeks removed from horrible play calling, and again, they played horrible quarterbacks so far. They've played only Lamar Jackson, and after Lamar Jackson is turned from his MVP performance, they haven't played one good quarterback. It's okay. That's fine. But if you're gonna if you're gonna act like this. If you're going to act like this team is now at the level of they could beat Josh Allen. Again, when did I say that? When did I say that? You said they could go into the playoffs and beat both of them. I said they could. That's not saying they're at the level. I'm saying they could beat them. Is that some sort of crazy claim? To beat both, they have to be at that level. I mean, you can't you can't beat both teams and not and be. And we're talking at down the road at that point. I've said right now they're not down the road. I believe they will be. All right, we'll see. Oh, this is getting fun. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna bring it back down to earth. So then, Clark. Okay, so we're just gonna then be devil's advocate. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any big concerns that the Bengals need to address for you to get confident enough to say, other than obviously what you've been pointing out, but do you still have some concerns? And if so, what are those concerns? It's just, it's consistency. It's obviously consistency. And then when you play a top tier defense, they need to perform better. The reality is their first two goes against better front sevens like Pittsburgh, like Dallas, the results didn't come there. Obviously that was weeks one and two, mm-hmm. and they've improved along the offensive line there. But I think it still comes down to protection, consistency, and Zach Taylor not deviating and doing something silly. That's my main concerns with things. I think defensively, again, I feel very confident Lou Anarumo for the last year and a half now has continued to be one of the best, if not the best, second-half adjustment defensive coordinator in football. I just think offensively they need to be able to stay consistent, they need to be able to protect Joe, and they just need to be able to not make mistakes. That's my concern to them, just consistency and being able to protect. Those are my biggest issues. Yeah, I, I wrote down O line. I think that's what they need to that that's what they need to address. They upgraded, but it doesn't feel like they did. Not and yet. and and I think Burrow is still exactly what you said. I mean, he just had like, you know, the appendectomy, which was, you know, kind of like all of a sudden and uh didn't get to really do any preseason games and whatnot in practice. So um he's starting to get into his own which is great, but at the same time, you still have to protect because what we what we were saying, you know, all of postseason and and you know they they ended up winning most of those games, obviously just not the last one, mm-hmm. but the the protection for Joe Burrow was the it was the concern for all of the Bengals, yeah, and it's still kind of there. I I do think they are going to get better. I think they're going to get used to each other, but it is going to have to get better, especially going going to the postseason. Yeah. Otherwise, Ethan. They will not beat the Bills or the Chiefs. I agree. If they don't, if they can't pass protect, if they don't stay consistent, then teams like Buffalo and Kansas City will eat their lunch. Yes, absolutely. I'm just poking. I'm just poking. No, I, it's, 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 it's a true point. It's true. If they if they can't play up to that level, then yes, both Kansas City and Buffalo will take care of them. So, Ethan, what do you think they need to address to make this team better? Uh, I actually think they're playing well right now. They just haven't been. Again, it's my point before. They haven't played a good quarterback. I mean, they haven't been tested. They literally it's fair. Have not it's been... fair. It's fair. I mean, they they played a backup quarterback their first four weeks. Then they played Lamar once he started playing bad, and they lost. And then they played Andy Dalton, and then they played Marcus Mariota. I mean, it, they the haven't been tested. lost to Marcus Mariota. I'll have you know. Well, just because <laughs> other teams lose to backup, that doesn't mean. I mean, you guys lost to Cooper Rush. So. Cooper Rush has only lost one game in his NFL career. We don't and, lost, and Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, you lost That's to Money it. Mitch. Week one, Mike Tomlin. Everyone knows he's hard to beat. Buffalo lost week one, Mike Tomlin last year. I know. I agree, but. I think that's that's to me the biggest concern. No, I agree. It's, it's easy. It's easy to talk yeah. about how good the defense is playing, but it's hard not to not to look at the elephant in the room and been like, they haven't even really been tested by a running back yet because they haven't even played Cleveland, and so like it'll be interesting to see how this. I mean, who's the best running back they've even played so far? Najee Harris, Zeke, Zeke, Brees Hall, Brees Hall, Brees. Well, Brees Hall was one of the best backs in the was league. Was he? Yeah, was he? It was he even week three uh, was in that game. Yeah. He, well, he didn't play too. the much though, did he? Was that it was him, Mike and Car- Michael Carter? But still, yeah, those two guys were on the ground. They played Cam- Alvin Kamara in, I think it was week five. Yep. I, I think wasn't Kamara out that game. Kamara no, did play. However, we didn't have DJ Reader. Oh, okay. nose tackle. But yes, they did have a good day against us. So it is fair <laughs> yeah. enough. So that that's my thing. Of this defense really hasn't been tested by any quality yeah. opponent yet. I I agree. 
All right. So, Ethan, you are the Chargers fan, and uh, unfortunately, they lost to the Seahawks, thirty-seven to twenty-three. And it kind of seems that a lot of people are talking about like what's going on with the Chargers. Brandon Staley needs to go. I mean, what's going on in LA with the with the Chargers here, Ethan? Um, I mean, sometimes overreaction Monday gets the best of you. <laughs> um, but no, this is totally yes. <laughs> the Chargers are in a really bad place right now. For a team that's four and three, they should be much better than they currently are. Yeah. Um, I mean, to get blown out twice by Jacksonville and Seattle at home is just bad. It's bad. It seems like anytime Brandon Staley goes up against any competent coach, this was Pete Carroll and Doug Peterson, he just immediately folds in his game plans. Not to mince words, just sucks. They have mm-hmm. no game plan. They have no way to strategically go about this. They have a quarterback who's clearly being a, who's not playing well because of his rib injury. And they continue to run the short passing concepts, which does not work. It allows safeties to play up. They have no running game right now. The game plan with the Chargers is just really bad. And to tell you the truth, I this is what I knocked on Staley the most, is for a guy who's supposed to be a defensive genius, man, his defenses play bad. Um, for how, how much of a genius he's supposed to be, it, his defenses just don't show up. I mean, no. they showed up against Denver, but Denver is the worst offense in the league. <laughs> Like by yeah. far that. Oh man, let Russ cook. Hold on a minute, let Russ cook. You never know what he can do here. <laughs> We're all gonna starve if he's cooking. Yeah, yeah we just might. But you gotta think. About hey, it. what can I say? I'm more of a Brett Wright. What was that guy's name? Rippin. Please show Ripon. respect to Brett Rippin, please. My goodness, don't yeah. um, the last name. No, I mean the Chargers are in a really in a really rough spot. I mean, so their philosophy from a general manager standpoint needs to change because they hate speed. They will not put any speed on the outside. They developed the slowest receiving core in the league, paid it way too much money, and called it a day. So Clark would know this. I did not want the Chargers to re-sign Mike Williams. I thought it was a bad deal. I Adamantly thought it wasn't good for that. her. I, I hated that. it. And I get that he has these breakout games and people love to see the impressive catches. But then you just miss because they're not on the highlight reels. The no separation for half the game. The Clayton mm-hmm. drops in the middle. The just disappearance for three quarters mike williams he will forever i will never like that guy i'm sorry i know i sometimes i have to apologize to him a lot anytime he, he does have to play. apologize to him i remind him <laughs> in the group chat if ever he makes like one really good play every two weeks i just say ethan apologize to mike williams. <laughs> i have to apologize a lot but, but to be fair i mean he's get, he's currently a top 10 paid wide receiver and he disappears for long portions of games yeah um, I, I, I will, I say I liked him coming out of college because he was this big time receiver. He's a, he's a big receiver. I mean, that's exactly what you want, especially in the red zone. And that's what I really liked about him because he could go up and catch those balls. But the thing, exactly what you're saying is in college, you can get separation just by being tall in NFL. You have to create separation. Yes. Your length does help but you also have to create your own separation. I mean, Devontae Adams, you know, just talking about my Raiders because I, I can't, it's my show. Anyway, um, but Devontae Adams, he creates separation um, not just with his size. I mean, he's a pretty big dude, but he's not the tallest, but he's got to use his routes. He's got he's to view his 
defender. And it just kind of seems like Mike Williams kind of gets complacent at times with his height and just wants to go, okay, just throw it up and I'll catch it. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's not that easy. It's, you know, we're going against NFL corners here. It's not going to just be throw it up and and you're going to catch it, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be more 50, 50. No, I, I think it's a spot on analysis. Mike Williams is a one trick pony. That, that's really yeah, one trick pony. I'm, I'm so sick pony. of Mike Williams. I don't like Mike Williams and never have liked Mike well, you Williams. You just signed him to an extension, so get used to it. <laughs> yeah. get used I, to- <laughs> I will say it seems like this offense is desperately needing Keenan Allen because, I mean, this is where Keenan Allen, even though he's had multiple ACL injuries, he's not very fast. He just gets that separation. So it seems like Keenan Allen is that separator in this offense that will effectively make those short passes to maybe go over the top to Mike Williams, but you can't have Mike Williams be not only the short guy or the route runner, because that's just not what he does. So at least from my perspective, when I'm seeing it. Yeah. I mean, it's atrocious right now. Austin Eckler is on pace to have 126 receptions on the season. <laughs> if you yeah. want to talk about that's terrible. That's he, had, terrible. he had 12 catches in, in last week's uh, against the Seahawks, 12 catches. He had nine rushes. That's not great. That's not what you want. Yeah, not Herbert even almost had as many rushing yards as Eckler did. <laughs> the the week before when they played Denver. Oh my god. He had 19 targets. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You can't do that. and exactly what you were saying too. Herbert is is hurt. I mean everyone forgets that he had a he got hit hard. Like that was not just a a little rib injury, like a little, you know, sucker punch to the gut or something it was to the ribs i mean that's going to last for a while and everyone forgets that and apparently staley does too because he's like hey uh justin why don't you throw 51 times against the seahawks and we'll just see how it goes and uh you know target eckler a lot and it's Mm -hmm. like okay that's not how we're going to win um and and keenan allen only having you know two targets two catches i know he's coming off of injury but it's like if you need a a a go-to receiver when you need a big time first down, I mean, I feel like Keenan Allen should be your guy, not talk, you know Eckler or Williams. I'll talk on the Keenan thing. Keenan played five snaps, so it's that they they basically his snap count was five snaps. They only played him in five downs and then took him out of the game. So it was kind of just a waste to even have him active. Yeah, it's why are you why are you playing him then? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I, I guess I'm too- scratching my head on it. The Chargers wide receiver room is always such an enigma to me because I, I we, we've talked about this meeting and like I think so many people overvalue how good Mike Williams and Keenan Allen actually are. I think obviously Keenan has a lot of respect because I think he's a great route runner. I think he gets open. The biggest mm-hmm. thing the Chargers offense lacks so desperately, and it's why I, I wanted the Chargers to trade up to get Chris Olave, is I think they need a guy who's really good in yak, who can take a top off the defense, can do more than just run a post, catch it, and go down with it. Because right now the profile of guys is Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Josh Palmer. Those three mm-hmm. dudes do the almost exact same thing. They're big body. I'm a possession dude. They need something more than that to give Herbert something more to work with. Because yeah. while Herbert hasn't played great during the stretch, there has certainly been a lot of things that have not helped him. The fact that he's throwing routes to Michael Bandy is not yeah. something you want to see. The fact that DeAndre Carter is an integral part of this offense, it seems like sometimes, is yeah. not a good thing. There's really a lot that is like not going well for the Chargers. The one thing I really just, again, something we really talked about with Herbert. Sometimes I just wish Justin would let it fly more. That's the only thing I ever wish with Herbert. I think it's, I just, I know he doesn't have like maybe the play calling to get it there or they don't dial it up enough. But there was like that interception he threw, the bad one. You know what I'm talking about, Ethan? Yeah, over the middle of the field. Yeah, he had guys on deep crosses going out and he just decided to go shorter. I'm like, just 
let that one eat out there. Mm-hmm. My thing yeah. is, I, I think Herbert knows that their speed sucks and they're likely going to get picked off. I've kind of decided. Yeah. So unless if it's wide open, he's not going to throw it. I think he really doesn't trust the speed on the outside. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Because yeah. basically every cornerback runs faster than every single one of our receivers. We do <laughs> not, not have – the only wide receiver we have that runs under a four five is DeAndre Carter, and he runs a four four five. So it's like the speed on the outside. You know, you want to hear the craziest stat? Gerald Everett is the second fastest player on our offense outside of Austin. Tight end. So, um, you, okay, I actually think. A, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think the Chargers need to lean into it. I actually think they should just convert Austin Eckler to a wide receiver at this point. I think they should just make him a slot receiver. Slot guy, yeah, yeah. They already they already run all those kind of concepts. Yeah, they're not using him as a running back. They might as well just put him out wide. And I mean, the Niners did it with Debo, so why not do it? Why not do it the reverse? Have the running back go to the receiver. I mean, it's not a bad concept because they target him so much. I mean, that's why he's a fantasy football god. I mean, everyone loves Austin Eckler because the guy gets 15 catches a game. Yeah. You know, it, this is just like something that was funny to me, though, today is that like people were showing highlights of like uh, Herbert is rookie year yeah. against Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And it was like highlights of them throwing to like, was it Tyron Johnson and Darius <laughs> Guyton? Yeah. And yeah. people were like, oh, I really miss these dudes. And I'm like, oh, this is how <laughs> down bad we are for just a deep threat. I'm like, Guyton and Tyron Johnson were like good for a vertical. I'm like, oh, my God, we have yeah. to get Herbert some more help than that. Yeah. People were saying we missed that. Oh no! Well, the issue is good. the <laughs> issue is the it's just the philo- it's clearly the philosophy of the team that they want those kind of big body possession receivers. Which with Philip Rivers, I will say it worked was was the right was the right move. Philip Rivers didn't really have the arm strength to push it downfield, but he was so good at anticipation throws that he could throw goes guys open all the time. Herbert cannot do that. Herbert throws a ball at like 80 miles per hour straight to where the guy is. I mean, it's it's insane the kind of arm strength Herbert has. Yeah. And for them yeah. to settle for Mike Williams, who like literally all he can do is either run straight down the field, run a post, or run a curl. It's a ridiculous mm-hmm. task to go. One thing, I, last thing I will say, and I, I think I even brought this up to Ethan in 2020. And I'm sure, Ethan, I think you've now said you really miss him. One of the bigger mistakes the Chargers made of recent years, and I know it's because it was a new regime coming in, but they let go of Shane Steichen. So I'll talk on Steichen. So Steichen was the offensive coordinator. was rookie year. So Uh he was the offensive coordinator rookie year. He's now the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. If Um, you want to know where he is right now. It's cruel. It's cruel. So he, he followed. He went over to Philly. He became their OC after the Chargers fired him. Pep Hamilton was their quarterback's coach, who's now the offensive coordinator of the Houston Texans. So mm-hmm. as much as I would have, I like Shane Steichen, but like it was fun to see the deep throws and see how they used Herbert. But a lot of people are forgetting about the lot of stupid plays Shane Steichen drew up his first year. I mean, it's fair. But again, would you rather him or Lombardi right now? Oh, I'm so sick of Lombardi. So yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, would take, I would take anyone else. I think they need to just bring up Shane Day. Yeah, I think Philly. I mean, they Philadelphia to, looks good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it's also Shane Sykin's now third year as yeah. an offensive yeah. coordinator. And people forget they took play calling duties from him halfway through the season last year. Yeah, they give it to Anthony Lynn. <laughs> Woohoo. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I do miss Shane Sykin to an extent, but 
I'm not going to sit there and romanticize that he was fantastic with the Chargers because he was the offensive coordinator when they blew all those ending game time decisions, like where they yeah. called the QB sneak in the mm-hmm. offensive line, thought it was a pass. So Herbert got oh, it immediately. He was the offensive coordinator when they tried to run the bootleg out and didn't block anyone on the left side, which they were bootlegging to. Um, oh, wow. He had a lot of miscues, but yes, his offense was way more exciting and it wasn't just mesh concepts every single play. Yeah. Um, and the one thing, this is what I'll say. This will be the last thing I'll say about the Chargers. The one thing Joe Lombardi's good at is he's made Mike Williams and Austin Eckler look like all pros. And mm-hmm. if you can make Mike Williams look like an all pro, you're probably doing something good. The issue is he's made Justin Herbert look awful. Well, I have a conspiracy theory for you, Ethan. Oh, and I actually said this last week when we were doing our head coaches on the hot seat. And I was saying that uh, Brandon Stately is on there if it is going to be let go, if he doesn't make the playoffs and my points were, you know, he's had arguably the best defense since his tenure there. He has literally Super Bowl expectations now with where this offense is, Justin Herbert and all that stuff. And my conspiracy theory was that Staley would be let go, but then in would walk. Sean Payton would come in and coach the LA chargers because he's been throwing out little dibbles here and there about either coaching the Cowboys, who's potentially losing a head coach, I was saying that if Zach Taylor got let go because the uh, Bengals didn't get in the playoffs, he might have gone there because of Joe Burrow and his weapons. And I'm kind of more on the boat with the Chargers because they just have a really good setup. They just need a leader. And, I mean, it doesn't sound like Stanley is that guy. Um, And also Lombardi and Peyton have a history together in New Orleans. So, to me, it would would make sense. But what do you think the state of coaching is for Stanley? And, honestly, what do you think of my conspiracy theory? Okay, so I'm going to say it from fans' fans perspective and the realistic one. So Sean Payton, he is always thrown out for the Chargers. Like, everyone is always throwing him out because he finds every opportunity to talk about Herbert. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if you saw my video. He was at the Chargers game. He's been at multiple Chargers games this year at home watching the Chargers live. Um, So it's an obvious look, but now I'm going to talk about the realistic. Never going to happen. Dean Spanos is the cheapest owner in the league. He's not going to go pay Sean Payton $20 million and also pay Brandon Staley for the last two years of his contract. He's not because the only way to get Sean Payton is to trade for him. They're not going to trade a first round pick to go get Sean Payton. This organization is inept and they're not going to do anything to win. I mean, if, if it requires anything that's like an extra step, they're not doing it. Again, look at their last three coaching hires since Norv Turner. They hired Mike McCoy. Anthony Lynn, who was the offensive coordinator for four games after being the running backs coach. And then Brandon Staley, who was a defensive coordinator for one year and is 35 years old. Again, I like the Staley hire, but this team picks the most cookie cutter, like motivational speakers to lead their teams. It's who's ever the cheapest, whoever's the most controllable. That's who they go for. They're not picking Peyton. All right, so do you think um, – I mean, wasn't Lombardi a coach for Sean Payton? Wasn't he – I think he was either offensive coordinator or, or special teams. It was he, one of he, those. Was, he was the QB coach. QB coach, that's right. Okay. So I do think there is some merit to what Cody is saying. 
Although I agree with you, I think Dean Spanos obviously is too cheap. He didn't even want to pay for his own stadium. So he was like, we're just going to go have these and didn't want to stay in San Diego. Whereas you guys are saying, I mean, had full support of staying in San Diego. It wasn't like Charger fans in San Diego were like, yeah, go ahead and go to L.A. We love that. You know, it wasn't like that. So I agree with you. I think I think it he's cheap, but I do think there is some merit to it just because um, Sean Payton and Lombardi do have that connection. Obviously, too, Sean Payton does live in L.A., so yeah. there is always there is always that like maybe well, he just wants to go see a game. But <laughs> I the other thing is about the Sean Payton story, which no one talks about, is I honestly think Sean Payton would hate the roster that they assembled that he would be given plus the cap situation they're in right now because they're linked to so many big deals. I don't know if he'd want to take on all of these aging players that they just signed huge extensions to. The thing about Peyton is what makes Sean Peyton so good is he was able to find offensive weapons in the weeds, and he would be linked to another three years of Mike Williams, another three years of Keenan Allen where he's making $25 million a year, another three years of... I mean, their offensive line is really good, so I'm not going to go discount Rashawn Slater and all those guys. But then on mm-hmm. defense, we have J.C. Jackson, who, poor guy. It sucks that yeah. he dislocated his knee. He was starting to look, in, in that half of that game, he was actually starting to look back to himself, and so it sucks that he got hurt. Yeah. Um, but then we have Khalil Mack. We have Joey Bosa. We have Derwin James. We have all these guys who are good players, but they yeah. are strapped into so much cap right now, plus the incoming Herbert contract which is going to be upwards of blank check. Right. Yeah. So depending on who you ask, he's been putting on, he's been put on fr- uh, fraud watch. If you haven't been paying attention <laughs> on Twitter. So please. I mean, Tua Tungvaloa has now surpassed Justin Herbert. People forget that Tua is better yeah. than Justin Herbert. That's just the reality of the situation. Now. Yeah. People just forget because wins are the only stat that matters when it comes to quarterbacks. Yeah. It's not like Tua just got an absolute beast receiving core right now and, and their defense is doing really well. And, you know, he also the, the Steelers got to dropped sit like for a couple six of interceptions games. last Sunday night against mm-hmm. him. That yeah. That was helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. That does help a lot. One thing I would like to say about the Dolphins and uh, their offense gets so stale once they get out of scripted plays. Once they get out of the first like two drives, they, they cannot move the ball whatsoever. Two, it no. turns into a shell. They can't move. They they have these superstar weapons, and he can't. He doesn't even have the arm strength to deliver it to them. The only game he's played well in is the Baltimore game, and Dolphins fans will never live that down. Yeah, true. Yep. Do you guys have a little more time? Yes, I have a little more time, yeah. Yeah, depends on how much more. Yeah, how much, yeah. Like, maximum 30 more minutes. Uh, I could probably go, like, 15 more. And then yeah, I could be, like, 15, 20 right. myself, yeah. So, let's let's do this. There was a story out that I, I sent you guys. It's by Marty Mush uh, on Barstool Sports. It was, it was laughable. But anyway, yep. uh, he's talking about um how great justin herbert is like how everyone talks about you know justin herbert is arguably a top five quarterback yet he hasn't done anything so what do, what is your guys's response to that um either ethan or clark you guys can go first do you want to go first you want me to ethan yeah i mean i'll respond to one easy thing uh justin herbert is a third year player and holds the chargers franchise record for touchdowns in a season yards and completion percentage uh, and this mm-hmm. is a franchise that has Dan Fouts and Philip Rivers in it. 
So if you want to act like Justin Herbert's done nothing, you're lying to yourself and you're just just not even looking at the facts. He threw for 5,000 yards last year and had 38 touchdowns. Yeah, so, I mean, my comment would be it's uh, you shouldn't read things written by Marty Mush. Um, <laughs> Marty Mush is, if you've ever paid attention to his barstool career, is an idiot. Um, he's done a really good job of making videos halfway through the Yankee seasons and claiming that there is, like, this is the greatest team ever. This is the greatest team Yankees team ever. And then they suck. So it's rich for him to be able to just like crown someone as something that's great when he's never witnessed it probably his entire life. Um, So yeah, don't read barstool articles about critical thinking. And again, I mean, Herbert, look, it's a team sport last time I checked and wins aren't necessarily a quarterback stat. So while it's obviously nice to make deep playoff runs, there's a lot more that goes into it. Herbert's clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. If you only judge it off wins or losses, sure, it may look a little bit different, but that's not a fair thing to do when he puts them in a position to win a lot. And sometimes the Chargers just unfortunately do silly things. So I, I don't think it's a fair argument to hold against them. I think it's just ridiculously absurd. And again, it's Marty Mush writing this. <laughs> what does that need to tell you everything right there? I so, also, one thing I want to add to this is I feel like the Tua Burrow Herbert debate has also made this conversation really <laughs> I don't know why to talk about it. I don't know, I don't know why it's a conversation. Like, talk to any Charger fans and they like get scared of the idea of like the oh Burrow's playing better than Herbert right now. Let me find every conceivable fact that might not show that thing. And it's like the most obscure thing of like on drop packs of five step drops, Justin Herbert's accuracy to the left side is slightly better <laughs> than Burrow's, which means he's a better quarterback. It's <laughs> That, that that debate is so toxic. No, right it's now. so dumb. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I just don't understand. Like we we talked about before this. I don't know why fans of either side don't sit there and be like, well, maybe we both just have really good quarterbacks. I know it's an endless debate of people going back, like you know, with Jordan and LeBron. But it's like, well, maybe just appreciate what you got right now. It's yeah. both really really good. Exactly. Appreciate greatness when you when you see it because it's just like how how Tom Brady was perceived for so long. Everyone hated Tom Brady because they hated that he was so good. And it's like, yeah, when he's gone, it's gonna the NFL is gonna look a lot different. Now it looks like it's gonna be fine because you have guys like Herbert, you have guys like Burrow, you have guys like Allen, Mahomes. I mean, we haven't seen a stacked young quarterback uh, list in a long, long time, and but you you do need to appreciate the greatness and i and i i do think that uh justin herbert is a really is a great quarterback i i don't think that's crazy to say um but i also think yes does he need to make steps forward but i feel like he has and exactly what you said ethan this is his third year he was drafted in in the top 10 for a reason the chargers were not very good they needed a quarterback they needed someone they needed that guy and they went after Justin Herbert. And, you know, I was on here and I was saying, you know, I think I think Tua might be the guy that you'd want to go after. And I, I will gladly say I was wrong. I don't I don't think anyone would take Tua now. Justin, we never saw the Justin <laughs> Go ask Herbert. Dolphins fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Who, who would take Herbert in a second? Uh, Miami. They were shopping for Watson this past offseason. So for me, it's. It's you can it, you can see greatness and accept it and be like, hey, this guy's really good. 
he just needs a little bit to go. And exactly what we were talking about, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. I mean, you know, Keenan Allen, he's getting older. He's not what he used to be. Mike Williams, exactly what, what Clark said. He's kind of a one trick pony. You need, you need other guys to help him out. Yes. It's great that you have Austin Eckler and they, they beefed up that defense. Now injuries are happening on that defense constantly, which is crazy. Um, but it's not like they're losing games by like 50 points. I mean, they're still in a lot of these games. I think the Seahawks are are actually a better team than what we thought they were going to be. But I also do think that Herbert's struggling with injury. Uh, they're struggling with a sale offense. And um, they're struggling with like hardly any receivers right now. So I, I think Herbert is a great quarterback. I think it's dumb to even say that he's not and he hasn't done anything. Like he literally has because they were what a couple of plays away from from beating the Raiders or from even just tying and getting into the playoffs last year. I mean, there is one thing I want to say about the Herbert discourse right now is. If you want to have an objective conversation about it, his biggest struggle right now because of the rib injury is his arm angle is all wrong. Mm-hmm. Every single he he had four balls batted last week, yeah. and he's a six foot six receiver. <laughs> he's not throwing it over his shoulder. He's trying to sidearm every ball, and it's not working right now. So if you want to talk about mechanics wise, why he's not playing well, it's that. But the other thing is, it why this discussion even happens is it feels like early Mahomes' career where Mahomes yeah. won the MVP when he was second. Every single fan was like, no, this isn't real. He's not good. He's overrated. And they tried to find every reason to say that he is because he was not on their team. Yeah, It feels like that. And Joe Burrow, the, he doesn't really get that treatment of just, I mean, maybe outside of Chargers fans. I know Chargers fans say it a lot, but Raiders I don't feel like national say it because they have nothing to say. So Yeah, but I, I feel like the national media is – like there are way more right now, at least there are way more people going out like Herbert sucks. Herbert's overrated. He hasn't won anything. No, I mean, like, like I, I joked about there are a lot of people who are like, oh, Justin Herbert's on fraud watch. But it's yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, and my other point is, yes, Herbert isn't playing well. How many quarterbacks in the league are playing well right now? Yeah, I, I have three. I have three, maybe four, if you count Jalen Hurts that are at an elite level outside of that. There's just not that much talent that's being put onto the field because the too high shell is killing offenses throughout the league. It's yeah. just downright annihilating the offensive output the teams are putting up. What's going on, everybody? This is Cody with Drew Code Sports Talk. We are proud to announce that Drew Code is a proud member of the Fanatics affiliate program. If you don't know what Fanatics is, Fanatics is a one-of-a-kind, unique sports apparel website that sells officially licensed NFL, NBA, MLB, college sports, and WWE gear. Fanatics is where all your favorite leagues and teams are available to buy. Drew and I, of course, are diehard Raiders fans and Giants fans, so of course, we are going to Fanatics.com to get all of the latest gear for our teams to be the most represented. Right Right now you can click the link in the description below to purchase your favorite team's officially licensed gear now follow us on social media and get the latest news on discounts and promos we'll see you there cody any thoughts on it well first off i agree with clark i think anything and i kind of told you this earlier andrews um anything from barstool sports i'm a little apprehensive to read in general i don't know how genuine they are i don't know how credible they are and the fact that there's an article that's barely three paragraphs has no statistical backing as to justifying the 
totally the total slander that goes to Justin Herbert, which if there was if he didn't do nothing, then why is he universally like plateaued his team to Super Bowl contention or at least getting into the playoffs or an AFC dark horse, so to speak, because Justin Herbert is that talented. And I made this point a couple of weeks ago when we were doing like top, you know, tier lists or whatever. We're blending talent and accomplishments and then we're making they're we're trying to make them work as if they're the exact same. And I absolutely I absolutely can agree, like in his three years, could he should he have done better with his talent? Okay, sure. However, he doesn't play defense. He doesn't, you know, he's not the one that coaches uh, you know, to be disciplined on both sides of the ball or you know, go for it on fourth down necessarily isn't his call. That's his head coach, but he is making a lot with the little that he has. And in three years, we're already talking to him as if he's some 10 year, all pro hall of fame type quarterback, or at least that's the expectations. And why? Because yes, he is that good. And I, I relatively agree with everyone's point in the sense of like, don't, don't let greatness just walk out the door and not appreciate it. And don't, don't, put it under a microscope and, and analyze it like, like that. Because like what Ethan is saying, you know, he's going through a rib injury, his arm angle is different, you know, this and that and the other. I think the slander is more jealousy than it is any like sort of factual thing behind it. Because I guarantee you whatever team you have, if you don't have Mahomes, Allen, and I would even say some people secretly would say they want Herbert over Hertz just because of the arm talent. Because, you know, some people in Eagles an Eagles nation may not even know if Jalen hurts can deliver the ball. He just runs it a lot and maybe they would side with Herbert. So there's a lot of arguments to say, like almost every team would probably choose Herbert if they didn't have Allen or Mahomes to pick from. So again, there's, there's just a lot of slander. That's very odd for such a young player. And a lot of them will be eating crow because next year he could have, you know, break all the NFL records again and plateau his team onto other things. And Anytime you have, like I, and like I let off with, anytime you have somebody writing an article from Barstool, maybe take it with a grain of salt because don't know how much integrity comes in with those. And Zero. Right. And clearly the evidence is there because the eye test says so, the stats say so, and obviously the confidence in his head coaches and all the NFL circles say so. So there shouldn't, any, there shouldn't be a reason for the slander unless like you just want him on your team and you're trying to throw hate on him for the sheer fact is you just you are unhappy with your situation. Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I would take Herbert over Hertz. I, I have no problem with saying that. Well, if you took Hertz over Herbert, I would question what you're thinking. Exactly. I, yeah. I think Philly would, in a heartbeat, take that. Even though they are playing well, but you know, yeah, well, that's Philly, another topic. Philly would absolutely make that change right now. All, All right. right, Ethan. Yeah. I know you have to go really quickly, but I, I do want to ask this question. So we're going to skip a lot of the baseball questions, unfortunately, because we've kind of been deep diving into the NFL. So I'm going to stick with that. Who do you guys think should be the favorite? I've been thinking it should be Micah Parsons as the favorite of the MVP vote. Do you guys agree? And if you do not, who would you put as the favorite? Uh, it's Josh Allen right now. Yeah, it's, I would say it's, Josh it's, Allen. It's hard. I mean, it's going to go to a quarterback. I mean, yes, Micah Parsons is probably the best defensive player. But one player I would actually put above Parsons, even in the rankings non-quarterback, would be Saquon Barkley. The Giants are six and one right now, and you cannot tell me that's Daniel Jones. I know it's Daniel DJ. Jones. I know <laughs> yeah. he's playing well, and I know people want to give him his roses, and he is playing well. I'm not. I'm not going to deny he is. He is playing well enough, but every defense is trying to stop Saquon, and they just can't right now. 
Yeah. Saquon is playing out of his mind in the day ball system. They even run wildcat plays with him, which he's super effective at. Um, for me, non-quarterback wise, it'd be Saquon. Quarterback wise, probably goes Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow in that order as my top three, I think. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I, I stand in the camp that I think Allen is the guy who asked me the favorite for the MVP again. It's the MVP award is essentially barring a two thousand rushing yard season or some sort of historical wide receiver season is always going to go to a quarterback. That's just the way yeah. the world works right now. It's mm-hmm. a quarterback driven league. You are determined basically what you do or what you don't do off your quarterback play. That's just the way it works. I think Parsons had a great year. I think Parsons is easily one of those dominant defenders we've seen play football in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, he's basically unblockable at this point. Um, But I would say for me, I I actually would put another guy up ahead of Parsons. I think this is – I don't know why he's not getting talked about more. Uh, Geno Smith. I don't know why Geno Smith does not get any more recognition for a possible MVP appearance. I mean, this guy – I mean, I know Seattle is Seattle, and people are still waiting for this pumpkin to rot. I don't think it's going to. I think people need to accept that Geno Smith maybe is really good, and Pete Carroll is maybe just a really good coach. And this is an offense with Kenneth Walker and guys in the perimeter that can make plays. I think Geno Smith is going to get to the playoffs and probably should get a little bit, maybe just a vote or two in there for an MVP. I think he's really shine. But, again, I would agree with Ethan. It would have to go on my mind right now. Allen is your top guy. Mahomes is your number two. I think Burrow, the way he's playing, is at number three. And then I would slide in Geno Smith at number four. Tony, what about you? So I have to unfortunately agree that I don't think Micah Parsons is really even into the top five MVP discussion, unfortunately. And again, it's not his fault. I think it's based on position. Now, do I think he's the runaway for Defensive Player of the Year? Yeah, I don't think no one's touching him in that category. But if I had to... No, (laughs) But if I had to give, like one or two top MVPs right now. I think unfortunately, because the NFL is all about storyline. So even practicality wise, it is probably Josh Allen. I think the NFL would probably, if they we were splitting hairs right now, they would say Jalen hurts just because of his, just because like of it, like what he's gotten the Eagles to, like they didn't make, they were barely snuck into the playoffs. Now they're undefeated at this point. Josh Allen is kind of doing the same thing he did last year, even though he's seems like he's improving again. Mm-hmm. So I would say like, the NFL, like I said, loves stories. So it would be Hurts, in my opinion, Allen. Unfortunately, I think Mahomes is getting a not that much respect with what he's working with and how well he's got this offense going. So I wouldn't even be surprised if Mahomes becomes an MVP again just because of where the Chiefs are at. And I'm included in this camp. We all thought that they were going to fall off without Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. and they seem to be almost better without him, which is kind of oh. odd to say. Um, but... I would say Saquon is probably going to be the comeback player of the year for sure. Like hands down. I don't think there's anyone else close to getting that. Even, even the running back rookie, Brian Robinson, who got shot. I think Saquon Barkley takes that, but it's hurts. Allen Mahomes for me, Parsons. I don't even think he's in the top five. Unfortunately, I just want them to get rid of the stigma that it's an offensive. It's an offensive award. I mean, it, most valuable player. I think Micah Parsons is literally the most valuable player on the Cowboys. I feel like mm-hmm. he's single-handedly making this defense a whole lot better. Demarcus Lawrence is having a good year, but I believe it's because of Micah Parsons. Trayvon Diggs is having a, an okay year, but I think it's because of Micah Parsons. I don't think this Cowboys defense is as dominant as they are 
Cody, you and I on, on fantasy, we were talking about like, we're not going to start Jared Goff against the Cowboys defense. And I think it's single-handedly because of Micah Parsons. If he's not there, this defense is not doing what they're doing. This offense is not win or they're not winning, you know, what, three or four games in a row with Cooper Rush without Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. I think that's being completely lost on this. And that's why I believe like we at least need to include a couple of defensive players. Micah Parsons for for all of his uh, all of his like quarterback pressures and all that, I think that needs to be a bigger stat in the game because we all look at on defensive players, especially pass rushers, all we look at is the sacks. What are the sacks? Oh, okay. Well, this guy has more sacks than him, so he's obviously better. That's not always true. Sometimes you got you get Michael Parsons, who's double teamed, yet can still break through and put pressure on the quarterback where he's going to make a quicker throw or it's a batted throw, or he's got to throw off his back foot because he's not set. Um, we've seen it millions of times with the Raiders with uh, Max Crosby. Max Crosby is affecting games, and Chandler Jones was doing nothing. Um, so I think defensive players need to be a little bit more respected. Um, you know, I know a lot of people were kind of talking about Trayvon Diggs last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should no listen. Yes, he had the interceptions, but now that's just us looking at one stat. Mm-hmm. If you look at if you look at everything, the quarterback pressures, the quarterback hits, the sacks, the tackles, the impact plays, where he he moves the offense where they have to physically move what they're going to run to the other side so that way Micah Parsons can't blow it up. I think that needs to be shown a little bit more. So I feel like Micah Parsons should be the favorite. Do I uh, do I think he will be? No, I I think I agree with you guys. I think Josh Allen, Mahomes, those guys are are probably going to get it. No, I, I mean, agree. I, I got to ask you one last question, and then I pretty much have to be done. So, <laughs> if you're talking about value, if you take Mahomes and put in an average quarterback, so you can pick Baker Mayfield <laughs> if you want. If you put an average quarterback onto the Chiefs, you think you think they are better off than if you replace Michael Parsons with an average edge rusher. I don't think they would be better off, but let's say, for example, you were talking about with Geno Smith. You put Geno Smith in that offense with Andy Reid, with his mind, he's going to make some plays happen. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be as good, but I think they still will be a very good team because Andy Reid is a, he's very good with his offense. He's going to get guys in the right. We were talking about Juju Smith being an absolute dud in Pittsburgh after his rookie year. We were saying this guy, he's doing nothing now. Where is he? Well, now he comes on to Kansas City, and now he's an intricate part of this Kansas City Chiefs offense. I, I believe that like uh, an okay quarterback would still be a lot more successful than uh, in a Chiefs offense than where they're at now. So I would, I would still put Michael Parsons um, as MVP right now uh, for, for the Cowboys. I think he means a lot more to the defense, which honestly helped the offense, in my opinion. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you guys being on here. I know, Ethan, you got to go. So uh, I appreciate you guys coming on here. Thank you so much. We love having you. Appreciate it. Thank so you. sorry we didn't get to really any baseball questions ah. other than the Padres. It's all good. <laughs> But I appreciate you guys being on here. So thank you. Why don't you guys, uh, anything you guys want to plug before you go? 
Ethan, that's up to you. Your call. You, you're the plug uh, guy. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you can come follow us on From the Backseat. Uh, go make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok. TikTok is probably where you know us from the most likely uh, if you've ever seen us. Go follow us on Facebook. You can also listen to the podcast called From the Backseat, a sports podcast. Uh, I'm Ethan. That's Clark. That's Clark. <laughs> there way. Nah, uh, I'm the way. other person that's not your Cody or Andrew. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're from the backseat. Uh, make sure you go check us out if you haven't ever seen us. Yeah, uh, please thank do, you for folks. listening. Appreciate it, guys. Yes, thank you guys so much.